on this episode of China Unscripted, how to dress for success Xi Jinping style. The United Nation releases its Xinjiang report, and it's bad. But hey, at least China's zero COVID policy is working out great. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesha. Oh, it's good to be back again. Yeah, we missed you, Chris. Oh, I'm sure. How many fun conversations did you guys have? Oh. One. Two without two. Chris. Oh, yeah. I mean, like this summer, we've had two without Chris. Only two? It feels like much more. It, it does feel really lonesome when you're gone, Chris. I've never really left you, Matt. When you were in your hardest times, that's when I was carrying you. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. So like when I'm at the, at the very nadir of making jokes. The Ralph nadir of jokes. Oh, that was a pretty bad one. Oh, okay. okay. That, All right. That was bad. I might have to carry you. Nope. So. Should I leave? You guys can just carry each other. So, so China news, Chris. So I, I think we should start off today talking about office and bureau style. Oh this man, is... that stuff is so dope. I love this new style. Did you just say so dope? Uh, I did. Is that an expression from the you, 90s? You know, it's interesting. We were trying to make this new movement in communist China seem cringe, but then Matt just came in and out-cringed them all. I out I think it the was communists. the so dope part yeah. that, that really made it. Yeah. Hey, if we were a uh, 1980s uh, cartoon show, uh, do you know who Matt would be? Who? Cringer. Oh, but he's kind of cute. Cringer or Matt? Cringer. <laughs> fair. Tough well, but fair. All right. Yeah, so office and bureau style, it's this weird movement in China and where people are dressing like... It's a fashion trend. But unlike most fashion trends, this one's for guys. Pretty much only guys because Communist Party officials are like 95% men or something like that. So. How come there's not a big movement to make the party more equitable? Because the the China Feminist Association is actually controlled by the Chinese Communist Party and ensures that women do not seek uh, real equality and also does things like encourage women to get married by the age of 26 or there'll be leftover women. That's the Feminists Association. No, it's actually the China's Women's Federation, but it is the Feminist Association. So you're saying that what I said is right? Well, I'm just saying the name of it is not the Feminist Association. Okay. But, uh, well, there's one woman in the Politburo. Really? Yeah. The, yeah. She's the one who gets assigned every time there's a COVID lockdown. She fun. goes to the city and makes sure it makes sure that it's it's a harsh enough COVID lockdown. Like whenever she comes to your city, you know that it's going to get worse. Essentially, like the lockdown's going to get harder. Mama COVID. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I I don't know how she got stuck with that job, but it's not. Yeah, every time she comes, like she's in Chengdu right now, which means that oh the Chengdu lockdown no. is which has now been extended twice. From yeah. the initial, it's going to be four days. Um, it's going to be three more days. Uh, it's extended again. And she just arrived in Chengdu this past week. So, well, you know, since we're already on COVID, let's let's just carry on with oh. COVID. Oh, you don't want to talk about uh, cadre chic? Cadre chic. 
well, that's what I think we should call office and bureau style in English. That makes more sense. Yeah. So it's basically people trying to uh, dress like Xi Jinping and other, you know, soulless CCP bureaucrats. Very nice, boring attire. Yeah. So navy, like white button down shirt. We're putting up pictures yes, of this. Navy, like zip up dad jackets. Polo shirts. Yeah. Uh, navy pants, like orthopedic type black shoes. And the nylon stockings. Ooh la la. That is weird for me because I just remember when I was growing up in China, going back to China, like, you know, my grandpa, like all the guys would wear those with sandals yeah. in the summer. Well, you know what it says about a man's fashion? What? In the context of it being Communist Party officials, it's party up at top, party down below. <laughs> party everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very That's good. What... So, so... Party underneath. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of when was the last time it became popular to dress like the leader of China and you what mean, else was going are on Are you talking about Mao suits? Yeah. Yeah. Like the cultural revolution, right? Yeah. Was like everyone started dressing in those This doesn't quite outfits. have that feel though. No. Like isn't a big part of it like some people like are doing it ironically? Yeah. So part of it is kind of like making a little tongue in cheek, like making fun of it a little bit. And then part of it, it's kind of like norm core, essentially. No, it's norm core. Do you remember this? It's about Norm MacDonald, right? <laughs> kind of. Like, he definitely dressed norm core. Uh, <laughs> norm MacDonald. Yeah. Uh, but also Jerry Seinfeld was very norm core. Like it's that kind of, maybe like back in 2013 or 2014, it was a fashion trend that millennials were dressing like Midwestern moms and dads kind of mm. so it was just like the most boring plain stuff like keds or you know dad jeans or mom jeans kind of what obama wore to like throw out the baseball do you you know what i mean like it's kind of like chunky sneakers yeah like basically what jerry seinfeld wore on every episode of seinfeld okay. like that kind of look and it was supposed to be kind of ironic but kind of celebrating just like the boringness and like norm normal attire, yeah. Very strange. But I guess also a part of what's happening in China is a lot of people just, uh, since the economy is so bad, especially for young people, youth unemployment is like 19%. Uh, they, they just wanna like fit in as much as possible, get some cushy government job. That is the funny thing that there was, in the New York Times article about this, it said that 2 million people sat for the government service exam that's, last year, which a is uh, it's just a record yeah. because mostly people, what you wanted to do is get into like the tech industry or these kind of up and coming creative white collar jobs. But because there have been so many layoffs. And also massive crackdown on the tech industry. Yeah, huge crackdown on the tech industry. So now it's kind of like, well, the government job is safe and boring, but it's safe. That's you know? true. But, you know, you know, the. What it means if you are dressing like a, a party official all the time? Hmm. Well, you, you know, you 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 take care of your dirty laundry, right? Okay. But if you're dressing like a party official, you don't have dirty laundry. You have dirty reds. Ah! Uh. <laughs> uh. All of this was a setup for this one moment. Ah. Uh. I have been waiting over an hour. When did to you drop think that of line. that? You... Like an hour ago. <laughs> So like long before we started recording, you've been planning this. Oh yeah. I have, these podcasts are like grand strategies for me. Uh -huh. I have everything planned out. 
85 steps ahead of all of you. That reminds and me. And all of you. Of, I was looking at old episodes, because we had, Jingmen was in the news recently, mm -hmm. the island that Taiwan owns that's like, like eight miles off the coast of, of China or something. It's very close. And we had done a, a episode there back in 20, I think we published it in January of 2019, where we went and interviewed people who had been there when the communists were bombing the island, essentially, mm -hmm. and all talked about the history of the Taiwan Straits crises and things like that. And there was this old-timey news footage that called... <laughs> That we're talking about the Reds or something like that. The Dirty Reds are invading Kamoi. Yeah, and so you started imitating that. And there's just like a bit in that video where you start talking like that. And I'm just like, no, Chris, we're not doing that. And so little has changed yes. in all these years. I had forgotten about that. And it's, yeah. No, Back. It's totally different. You have a beard now. That's true. You didn't have Good a beard. Point. Yeah. yeah, I forget that it's, well, actually, that's not that new at this point. That was... 2019 was a long time ago already. Yes. <sighs> it's almost four years ago since we were there. Wow. Because we actually went there in the fall of 2018. Well, it's it's amazing to see the difference in the situation with Taiwan in that time. Actually, also the difference in Hong Kong in that time. Because we also made a stop in Hong Kong on that trip, didn't we? Um, maybe. Kind of, but just like passing through. Oh. Yeah, we were in Hong Kong for like a week in 2016. And then we, we had uh, interviewed, I remember the director of the short film series, 10 Years, which was like, what Hong Kong is gonna be like in 10 years. And it was five short films that all predicted this like sort of dark communist future for Hong Kong 10 years from when it was published. So that would have been 2025. But, you know, the communist party was very efficient, so they, they did it in less than five. They did it in less than five. And and I just, that's why I remember the timing of that trip. It was a very boring time for, for Hong Kong and a somewhat uneventful time for Taiwan as well. But it's definitely gotten, uh, yeah. those tensions have really ratcheted up. We interviewed Joshua Wong and he was like interning at a legislative office. That was before he went to prison. <laughs> It's, it's kind of amazing over the years how many people we've gotten to know who are like now in jail or in exile or have been assassinated. Yeah, it's really... That's something that like I feel like most people don't usually have in their lives, meeting people. And then you hear like, oh, this person is in jail. Oh, this person was assassinated. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially if they're in jail for political reasons. Yeah. Yeah, so well, anyway, this this took a kind of a dark turn. Um, we were talking about something that was m a bit more upbeat. Well, maybe. You know what the Hong Kong thing made me think of, though? The U.S. government issued a warning to U.S. citizens to not travel through Hong Kong. This is this is new. This, this is, is not new. part of the, yeah. like, the warning against China. No, this is, it just happened last week, and it is specifically about... Not, not like going to Hong Kong, but even transiting through Hong Kong. Like if really? you have a connection in Hong Kong, they're like, try not to make a connection through Hong Kong because they've been temperature screening people at the airports. Like even if you're just getting off a plane to get on another plane, and oh. if they find that you have an abnormally high temperature, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean COVID, mm -hmm. but if you have a, a high temperature, they actually take you off the plane and won't let you get on your next plane. I mean, you might have just seen somebody wearing communist party chic and that got your temperature up <laughs> and then 
uh, people have been taken away to quarantine camps in Hong Kong. That's nuts. And then, of course, if we ended up in a quarantine camp in Hong Kong, we'd be in Hong Kong and we would be people who have violated the national security law. Don't tell them that, Matt. We have not violated any laws. Um, well, it's actually, I mean, I would, I would like to say we have not. We're, we're very good, very good people. That was a stunningly, uh, you know, very persuasive defense. Defense, I, I, the judges would be in tears. These people who are very good, they do not deserve. I, I'm drinking coffee out of this mug, but I it is not kicked in yet. So okay, okay, I was. That's my excuse. Um, well, we're we're back at COVID. I think like there's plenty to talk about as far as like how insane. China's zero COVID policy has gone. I mean, I think we are, there's how many, 60 million people or something currently under lock, lockdowns of some sort. And well, I mean, the big story that happened that, that I think just demonstrates how insane all of this is, is, is there was a, a pretty big earthquake in Sichuan province, which is prone to earthquakes. But, you know, you know, when there's an earthquake and I'm from California, I've been through some big earthquakes. You want to, you know, get out of a building because it could collapse. But because there's lockdowns and stuff going on, all these people, they tried to flee their buildings and found that they had been locked inside because of COVID. Yeah, you wouldn't I mean, want people to get want, sick. They just want to keep people safe, Chris. That's why. God bless them. Yeah. I mean, it's really so that the neighborhood committees or the buildings don't get in trouble with the authorities, right? Like it's, it's CYA. Like nobody told them that they couldn't let people flee but they also didn't know that if they could, so the safest thing is to keep people locked up so they don't get in trouble. Until it becomes like this international story of like, people were trying to flee an earthquake and because of the zero COVID policy, they weren't allowed outside of their buildings. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine what would have happened if anybody had actually been hurt because of that? Like if oh, a yeah. building had collapsed or, you know, then the backlash, like, and everybody who, all the people who prevented people from fleeing would gotten in trouble. This is exactly what happened, the kind of thing that was happening when people weren't being allowed into hospitals because they didn't have like a updated enough COVID tests. Like there was that one case of the woman who, I forget what city it was in. I think it also happened in Shanghai and a couple other places where women who were in labor or something that were not allowed to enter the hospital because they didn't have a correct COVID test, like theirs had expired. Mm -hmm. It had been more than 48 hours or something. Like the one woman, was it in Wuhan again? Like there was- some, Might have been Xi'an. Xi'an, okay. So it was somewhere where she actually was bleeding. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they wouldn't let her in until, and she sat outside the hospital for hours and then eventually miscarried the baby. So then that became a huge story and people were really upset. And then everybody involved in the hospital administration got punished. Yep. Because, and they were just trying to be like, oh, well, if we let her in and somebody gets sick, we're going to get punished. So we can't let her in. Yeah, just climate of terror. An another thing we were talking about, Chung uh, Chengdu, which has just been put under lockdown. Uh, another demonstration of just how insane this COVID, zero COVID policy is going. They were making people line up for hours in the rain to get COVID tests. But then there was like some glitch in the system and they couldn't carry out the test. And so they had, they were just standing there in the rain, in the dark. Oh, that's not the worst. Like 
a few weeks ago when the there was the big heat wave happening uh, in Chongqing, which is neighboring Chengdu, like they had to have like mass testing there. And so like people were literally fainting because of like people were getting heat stroke because they were being forced to line up outside during the day during this massive heat wave. It's too bad they couldn't speed the process up, you know, maybe some kind of Chongqing Express. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, I was like, where are you going with that? Did you also think about that an hour ago? Two hours ago. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so now we're going to start talking about Wong Kar Wai movies? We go back to Hong Kong. Hey, that's right. Uh, no, we'll save that for uh, Movies Unwatched. <laughs> where we review movies that <laughs> we, we haven't, haven't watched. watched. <laughs> I like that. What if you just reviewed a movie based on just the title? And, and the poster. I think the poster. Maybe some things you've heard around the internet. So what do you think of Rings of Power, eh? Nah, we won't go in. Um, I actually have not watched that. Neither have I, so it's perfect. There we go. TV unwatched. Were you going to make a point? Were you going to make a point? No. Guys, I thought you were carrying each other. What happened? <laughs> now we're just fighting. <laughs> As is. This is, that... this is, you're like separating us so we don't come to blows. Uh-huh. That's my life. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's why you sit in the middle. Yep. But yeah, it's 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 amazing how badly the zero COVID policy is going. And actually how quick the turnaround has been as far as Chinese COVID propaganda goes. Because for so long, even today, like we still see Western media talking about how good, how well China handled the COVID pandemic, that they prevented deaths and blah, 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 blah. And like they were the shining example of it. And now suddenly like everyone is like, okay, zero COVID is, is, is actually really bad and stupid. And this is destroying the economy in yeah. big ways. I mean, I think part of it is that because the, the, the variants have become less and less deadly and most of the rest of the world has Are you allowed back to up. say that on the internet? Yes. I didn't say why. Is, is saying why it's less deadly? Oh, I mean, I think there's uh, basically like a, a tendency to attribute that to vaccines, like because more people are vaccinated uh, or something. Not, so, we don't want to get in trouble for spreading rumors. Yeah. Okay. You asked. I did. I made a mistake. <laughs> An internet mistake. Yeah, that's another thing. How uh, China has these rules about you know making a crime to spread rumors. And we got a taste of that with a lot of uh, COVID things. I mean, yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, right, with that Dr. Li Wenliang got reprimanded for spreading rumors. Right. But and also just like over two years, how politically incorrect it's been to have a dissenting opinion on COVID, even if you're in the United States. Oh, that's what you were talking about. Yeah. I thought we were talking about China. No, I was, I was talking about okay. the U.S. just. But, and also the guy in Chengdu who got arrested and detained for two weeks for spreading rumors that Chengdu was going to go into a lockdown. A few days before it went into a lockdown. Yeah, same thing happened in Shanghai, actually, where people were saying that Shanghai was going to lock down. They got in trouble for saying it. And then three or four days later, it locked down. Well, because people are really scared because I think I think it was Xi'an where it first really became like known throughout China that like people were being forced into lockdown and they didn't have enough food. And then that happened in Shanghai. And then people in Chengdu see this. And so when this, this internet user, Tropical Rainforest, I think was his username, uh, said that, you know, there might be a lockdown in Chengdu, panic buying happened. You saw all kinds of crazy videos. I think there was like one video, like one image of like a guy who just tied like a bunch of chickens around his car. 
Yeah, and multiple people with either an entire pig or enough pork to reconstitute a pig in the back of their cars or something like that. Maybe they were just scientists. They were assembling a pig? A Franken-pig. <laughs> uh, some reason... That I wouldn't s- make Franken-sense. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was a three-hour plan. <laughs> okay, well, suddenly I thought of Benicula. What? Did you ever read those books as a kid, Benicula? No, is this the rabbit hole we want to go down? Well, it's Literally. about a vampire rabbit that sucks oh. the sucks the life force from vegetables. Oh wow! And a bunch of other pet animals who are investigating this, like vampire rabbit. Do we have a terrible podcast? <laughs> um, Let terrible? us know in the comments below. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like you see how uh, these insane high-level government policies inspire insane uh, reactions from local officials, and then that, how that just leaves the entire population of China absolutely terrified. Yeah, I mean, even the panic buying in Chengdu, like Chengdu, as far as I know, has not run out of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the panic buying because everybody had seen what had happened in all these other cities and were upset. And worried about not being able to go out and get food. But Chindu has actually allowed one person per household to go out and buy food. Oh, what a wonderful Yeah, government. they've learned their lesson. Like, they're being much more, you know, flexible now. And then pe- because of the earthquake, people were joking whether, uh, you know, one person per household would be allowed to escape the earthquake. <laughs> Oh, God, that really is getting biblical. Only one in every 40 households will survive. So, so here's my question. Like, if people, one in every household is allowed to go out, but then in order to have grocery stores where people can buy stuff, you need to have workers who can work at the stores. You need to have, like, uh, yeah, delivery you... drivers. You need to have logistics people. Uh, like, you need to have a lot of things still be operating. And, of course, the farms... Uh, and the, well, the slaughterhouses and all that. and The farms aren't necessarily locked down. Right. But I just mean like there's a whole supply chain of like a job chain essentially for how to still maintain food. So how does that work with everybody being locked down? Is that the I question? guess there's just lots of exceptions. Well, no. What happens is a lot of times people who have to work are put into uh, closed loop management, which means like you're now – living at your factory. You live at your grocery store. For for the duration of the lockdown. Like a lot of those delivery drivers in Shanghai, they were living in tents on the street. They weren't going to be allowed to go back to wherever they were living. You know All what I mean? for people's health. Yeah. That's so what you want is delivery drivers living on the streets for two weeks. Or two months in Shanghai. You know, yeah. it was bad. Yeah. Like not showering, not washing for like two months. And we saw in Shanghai, like, the truck drivers trying to come in with goods from out of town, right? And how a lot of them were stopped at the border. That's right, yeah. And they're rotting vegetables. It was a mess. But oh. uh, like I said, they've, they they learned their lesson. One person per household is allowed to go out. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, people are not allowed to criticize these policies in any way. Which now makes me think of a recent episode on America Uncovered about how California is trying to make it uh, illegal for doctors to spread COVID misinformation. Yeah, and I wonder if that's actually going to get signed into law. Is, is the only thing stopping that just whether or not uh, Governor Gavin Newsom signs it? Yep, basically. It's been approved through the legislature, but he had 
from the time it was approved, he had three weeks to sign it. And if he doesn't, doesn't become law. Saving it for the last minute. Or just does, doesn't does want to touch this political hot potato. I could see that. Yeah, because mm. yeah, I think a lot of the more stringent um, proposed bills that this California vaccine working group had come up with didn't go through because um, people aren't as worried about COVID as they used to be. So having a bill that gives the police the ability to enforce public health laws is suddenly like, oh, wait a minute, do we want to do that? Is Defund that the police, a... except... <laughs> when we need them to enforce public health law. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that really is the kind of like slide into authoritarianism that we see has happened in China. And you see that that is not a good thing for a society. I'm not sure if it's a slide so much as like like a trap door that just opened. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I'm just think, imagining there's like all those videos from China of police going to people's doors and like even breaking down their doors to, to detain them for having COVID or being or suspected not, of having COVID. Uh, or, or saying things or welding online. those doors shut so they can't leave yeah you either you either like kidnap them and take them to detention centers or you lock them in it's like got to be one of those two yeah i think it's more likely quarantine centers now than being locked in your home because they've started since shanghai they started to do this like statistic thing where they will count cases in the community or not. Right, so zero COVID is actually zero community spread of COVID. So as long as you've already rounded everybody up and put them in quarantine centers, it does not matter. They don't count anymore. Okay, I have an idea. So every major city, we're going to now call a quarantine center. And then there's no COVID? There's no COVID. There's no community spread of COVID because it's all technically happening within a quarantine center and then all the western newspapers will be like wow china successfully stopped covid china saved the world again and its economy is doing great oh my gosh well the covid economy is doing great uh the the one company andon health that makes like uh test kits uh they had a they had a twenty seven thousand percent profit increase in just the first six months of 2022 that's insane well i mean i don't know how many Tests were being manufactured, yeah. like they we're talking about antigen tests, right? Yeah, so. they, they had also been like a failing company, you know, in like running up to 2019. So like, obviously like they're at a low point, but they still made $2.2 .2 billion in profit, which much of which was because the US government ordered at-home COVID tests for Americans from this Chinese company. Because, you know, obviously if you want a solution to the COVID problem, you go to China and, and, and buy the, the test kits from there. Well, right. I mean, they're making the test kits. Yeah, I noticed actually that, uh, you know, every time I see a test kit in a drugstore or something like that, it's always made in China, no matter what the company is. You know what else was made in China? Well, we don't need to talk about that here on YouTube where we could get our channel shut face down. Face masks? Yes. yes, that's what yes. we were talking about, right? Yes, yeah. face masks. Yeah. And and thank goodness China was providing us some of the face masks that they I'm kept just for so themselves. honored that my taxpayer dollars could go to an authoritarian regime that uses rape as a form of torture to sell us masks. Yeah. Speaking of using and, rape. Uh, and uh and uh tests. And tests, tests. I don't want to forget the tests. But you know, speaking of all these, you know, lovely things the Chinese Communist Party is doing, I think we should talk about the, finally, we get the UN report on Xinjiang. 
came yeah, out. Yeah, like literally, uh, I saw on Twitter reporters waiting for it on Europe time, basically, mm -hmm. and being like, it was it was something like ten minutes to midnight when it was released. It was insane. yeah, literally, Michelle Bachelet, the UN, I forget her exact high title. commissioner for the office of the high commissioner on human rights is the office, so she is the high commissioner on human rights. Well, she must be really emphasizing the high part because she waited till like the last minute of her term to release this thing. People were wondering if she was even going to. Yeah, I mean, she had promised to, but then she kept making kind of statements that seemed to be like, maybe we won't be able to get it out in time, et cetera. And it's like, what, what hooks did China have in her? I mean, she has a long history of uh, being associated with socialist and communist regimes. But uh, like, just why, why the resistance on the UN part to well, release I mean, a report about China genocide? is one of the biggest funders of the United Nations as a whole. I think second only to the U.S. is. I mean, it's and like a big gap, though. There is a big gap, but the U.N.'s not afraid of pissing off the U.S. because they know the U.S. will fund them no matter what. Yeah, because if we have a president who says otherwise, uh, so China is also like a huge contributor to U.S. Pe uh, U.N. peacekeeping troops. Like, like essentially, they're the number two country, even if like monetarily or whatever, they don't give as much as the U.S. Apparently, to the extent that they submitted this report to China to review. Yeah, I think that's not necessarily not standard, though. But in the context of, like, if a regime is being accused of genocide. Well, they, I don't have a problem with them giving them the report. What I do have a problem with is them changing the report. That's what I meant. It was given to them so they could review it and make changes and submit things. Yeah, and like the Bachelet's office was like, we will only change factual things. Like if they point out that we have a factual problem, then that's the only thing we're gonna change. Uh, but then reporting came out of Politico that they had watered down certain sections, like the section on forced sterilization, which would have been, you know, more sensitive. So they watered it down to what? Suggested sterilization? Well, the forced sterilization section was kind of, was talking about how the the uh, birth rate had fallen off a cliff, really, mm -hmm. for uh, the weaker population. But it did not get, it didn't go to the point where it would, uh, it didn't kind of imply or say outright that this was purposeful um, policy because that would have essentially been one of the, uh, it would have indicated genocide, essentially. Like a policy to reduce the population of a certain ethnic minority. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you know, yeah, there's sterilization and yeah, the birth rates are falling, but like there could be any number of reasons for that. So yeah, true. we talk about the birth rate falling, but... It, it also talked about things like people being given like mysterious pills and like medical exams and stuff like that, but didn't. People might just sometimes want to go to a doctor more frequently and sometimes just take mysterious pills. I like mean, these are like that. pills being given in the vocational training centers. <laughs> so, and yeah, yeah, they, they used that framing of them. They like called them vocational training skills that they didn't call them. Well, I mean, they didn't call them concentration. No, they didn't call them that. And they had said that the the basically they said that the Chinese government calls these vocational education centers or something like that, and they used that, you know, abbreviation mm -hmm. through the rest of the thing. Uh, I mean, they did 
document. They did interview a lot of Uyghurs. Uh, they did document a lot of the torture that happened in these places, and they, they it called wasn't it a total walk. Yeah, they called it torture. They called it human rights violations. I mean, they said it may constitute crimes against humanity. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, but no genocide. Yeah, no, and no I, mention of genocide. And yeah. of course, I, you know, we all hope that the the Chinese government can, you know, come in and help stop some of these things from happening. Well, you say that as a joke, but that is basically what the report suggested as a solution that the Chinese Communist Party, you know, maybe stop and also investigate. What's yeah, going well, on. they said immediately stop, you know, mm -hmm. arresting these people and also investigate the claims of torture and stuff like that, that that are happening under this policy that, you know, it, it kind of acts as if the torture is happening under the policy, but not that the policy is directing the torture. If, yeah. yeah, we have investigated ourselves and found that we are great, glorious, and correct. Yeah, we are totally innocent. But the whole thing, what is maybe a little good here, though, is that the CCP's humongous pressure campaign on the Human Rights Office may have actually backfired on them a little bit because um, there was some reporting that indicated that after the CCP started this putting more and more pressure on the office, like people who were involved in the report were allowed to go back and interview more Uyghurs and like put some more stuff about oh, no. back in the report. So yeah, it seems like they were feeling enough political pressure from not China to mm. not completely cave. So is it as good as it could have been? No. Is it a complete wash? Like you said, no, it's not a complete wash, but uh, so you can see how some of the CCP's pressure campaign could backfire as long as there is enough scrutiny from the rest of the world on this issue, you know. And I mean that this is really a microcosm of a bigger issue of like just what what is the United Nations? How does it actually function? And you know, like we sort of have this you know romanticized like it's Star Trek, you know, the idea that oh, there's this this. Uh, inter this international body that it doesn't look at any, you know, borders or countries. It just, you know, makes the peace for the good of humanity. The good of humanity. But you know, what is actually the UN right now? Well, it's often very corrupt, very influenced by China. Is it possible that like an, an international organization like this would only will always be corrupted by the worst, most powerful countries? Or is it still possible that, like in the case of the report, there can be enough international pressure to not fall into that category? Or is, what I'm trying to say is China ruins Star Trek for me. <laughs> okay. Well, I do think that uh, this, the Chinese Communist Party has had a policy where they have specifically tried to infiltrate and break down the UN, right? And always use it to, for their own... Um, for their own best interests. Mm -hmm. So uh, would the UN be better if there weren't countries that did that purposefully? Like, could it work if somebody wasn't purposely trying to undermine it? Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, for example, the World Health Organization, part of the UN, uh, when SARS was going on, they did a great job with that. Uh, they, you know, really put a lot of pressure on Beijing, um, did a lot of good investigations. But then they managed to demand to be like sh like they demanded to be allowed to go into the Beijing hospital where they were hiding a lot of SARS cases. Yeah. Yeah. But then China realized like, oh, this is a powerful position. Let's get our people in those positions of power or people who are, you know, beholden to us. And then that corrupted the WHO just in time for COVID. 
Yeah, I mean the the challenge with the the challenge with the United Nations is that it's like on one hand you need a forum right where all the nations can come together and talk and hash out issues and and whatever. Uh, and if it's an organization that is too ideologically controlled by a small number of countries, then the other countries like China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, like they won't even join, right? They won't even come to the party. And then you've lost a valuable part of this forum, right? So you need to have an organization that is like in some sense, weak enough or malleable enough for these authoritarian regimes to at least come to the table, not fearing that like something's gonna happen to them just for showing up, right? What do you mean something's gonna happen to them? Well, like, okay, let's say, let's say that the, the the United Nations was ideologically just controlled by, you know, the United States and Canada and, and Western Europe and these, you know, sort of free and democratic countries, including a few, you know, in the Eastern hemisphere, like, like, okay, then a country like China might just be like, well, we're not even gonna bother showing up because every policy you have is part of your, you know, colonial hegemonic ideology. And we feel like we have no say. Or more ideally, if a communist official shows up, they get arrested for crimes against humanity. Right. And so like, if that is what the United Nations becomes, then it doesn't actually work to unite all the nations, right? I, th I mean, th the United Nations doesn't have all the nations in it. Right. And so like even, even the original compromise, and it wasn't so clear, it, it should have been, but it wasn't so clear at the time how bad an idea was to have the Soviet Union be part of the Security Council. So you've got like two parts. You've got the, the Security Council, which is five countries. Two of them are, well, one's Russia and one's China. Permanently. No, the Security right. Council is more than five countries, but there are the five permanent, permanent members. members. Yeah. Right. So at the time in 1945, there was one authoritarian country, which was the Soviet Union. And China at the time was controlled by the nationalists, which was authoritarian, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't communist. Uh, and it wasn't very powerful. So like it, there was already like a, a pretty deep compromise. And there's also a deep compromise where for a lot of things, every country gets one vote and the majority of countries are authoritarian countries, right? So there's, you know, out of 200 countries, there's only, you know, 20, 30 countries that are really free countries and, you know, maybe 50 more that are like sort of, eh, right? And then you have a lot of authoritarian countries. And so there's, there's already like this, this tension, but also a balance of free countries and authoritarian countries that are vying for power in different ways in the United Nations, uh, which is terrible, but also the only way to bring everyone to the table to be effective as an international body. It's just that you don't want that international body to have too much power because if it has too much power, it'll be kind of the average of countries, which is on average authoritarian. Does what I say make any sense? No, it makes sense. How does it make you feel about Star Trek? Well, that it's communist propaganda. Wow, yeah. it really did ruin Star Trek for yeah, you. Yeah, Star didn't... Trek, a, a, what is it called? The Federation? The Federation, yeah. Right, like, yeah, that would be, in reality, that would be 
an authoritarian nightmare. In our time, we don't have money. We all work for the betterment of individuals. Why, why is that a 1930s newscaster voice? That's, like... that's me trying to be Picard. No, that's, oh, okay. that's how they talk in the future as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's very fashionable. Thank God they didn't make him have a French accent. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, Jean-Luc Picard, and it's it's Patrick Stewart, <laughs> yeah. the most British French person in space. Yeah. Well, then every time they go to a planet and face difficulty, they just surrender. <laughs> um. <clears throat> uh, well, so I mean, then what's what? What even is the point of the UN? Like, hey, like, hey, let's get all these authoritarian countries together. Uh, but not have power to do anything. Like, it just seems pointless and degenerate. It's a forum for, to address grievances, even though they may not be properly addressed. It's a way for the diplomats from different countries to have, like, some kind of safe place where they can all talk if they want to. Um, I mean, it is and, also a way to get aid to poor countries. Yeah. That where the burden is supposed to be more fairly shared than having just the U.S. or whatever give aid. Yeah. But, yeah. Although, I mean, it's still majority funded by the yeah. U.S. But anyway, yeah. I mean, yeah, like I, I do think there's value in having something, but it's ultimately, you, you just, you don't want it to be too powerful because that's going to lead to real problems, especially when you have authoritarian countries in the United Nations that have a tremendous amount of influence in the United Nations. And like, you know, what if what if the, the United Nations, uh, you know, China gets its people to get the United Nations to enforce a sort of global standard on the internet or a global standard on certain technology that ends up being crypto. used to, to track people. Uh, yes, yeah, like a standard for cryptocurrency that, um, you know, has a mechanism built in to track user, uh, users by by their transactions. Well, like like all these things, right? Like if you go by, if you do it China's way, if you do it the Communist Party's way, the whole world is gonna be infected with this communist system. Yeah, I also wonder if the UN was a slightly different place when the Cold War was happening between the US and the Soviet Union and it was more overt that this was essentially a face-off between two different ideologies and things like that. Because I think a lot of the stuff that China is doing now, they're able to do it because um, they're able to hide a lot of it in nice sounding words. Well, and because so many countries and people share that ideology. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that was more overt during the Cold War, that there were two blocks of different ideologies. Well, it still is the case. But I think that that's not so clear to a lot of people in the West. Like that I could think, be. I think that you know, how the United States views its, um, you know, function in the UN is a lot different than it was in the 1960s and 70s. Right, because at that time, you know, the United States was mainly concerned with fighting the, the Soviet Union. Yes. So... Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt. Chris oh, Wolf. the filthy communists. <laughs> That's what you meant. The dirty reds. Did you actually not know the, what I was getting at? I know what you were getting okay. at. <laughs> yeah, he just didn't want to take it because you offered it. He wanted to be subversive about it. Yes. And then I was confused when it was revealed. 
Anyway, let's let's move on. You're just not subtle enough, Matt. Matt, I'm carrying you right now. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> You're welcome. That's why there's only one set of footprints. Shelly, can you carry us somewhere different? Well, can I go back to making the point that I was trying to make before? Fine. Before yeah. What, poetry. Uh, before. <laughs> anyway, so the point I was trying to make is that I think that, you know, the U.S. or other Western countries might feel like they don't want to dominate the U.N. Uh, or they don't want to, like, they, they don't feel like it's an ideological issue anymore because the Soviet Union's gone, right? I do wonder if some of that is changing because I think the threat of the Chinese Communist Party is getting clearer. Yeah, but I don't think that a lot of people understand what it is. It's yeah. true. And it's very, there's a lot of resistance to the idea of, oh, Cold War 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, they see China increasingly as a military threat and an economic threat and possibly a public health threat, although that's kind of dicey to think that. Um, but I can see how even if China is clearly viewed as a military threat with respect to uh, its planned invasion of Taiwan or less widely understood planned domination of the Pacific, that you can still be like, oh, well, that's, that's China's military plan that is different than them being, like maybe we could just convince them not to do that. Like it's not really a deep ideological issue. Yeah, and I think that's one of the differences between how the Trump administration, the Biden administration treated China is you had officials like Robert O'Brien, the national security advisor under Trump making speeches about how this is an ideological fight and it's about China's Marxism-Leninism and their view of the world and all this stuff. Um, and you will not hear, you know, Blinken or Jake Sullivan or anybody talking like that in the Biden administration. Yeah, I mean, I think Blinken did a good job pointing out genocide and using the G word. But then when there's a lingering hope that, oh, we can work with China on climate change, um, then you know that, that he doesn't fully grasp or is not willing to discuss at all the ideological issue. Or if they, even if they privately understand it a little better, they're not willing to make any of that the policy of the U.S. government, right? Right. So, um, but you know, we we are seeing some things change very belatedly. Um, uh, I think that one of the big stories that came out is that you know um, that. Uh, Chinese companies that have been listing on the U.S. stock market for years have avoided auditing by the U.S. China, I think, was like the only country that was able to do this because they uh, said, you know, they couldn't open the books of these Chinese companies because they might have, you know, state secrets. It might be yeah. tied to national security. And so Chinese companies just were not getting audited, but still being allowed to be on U.S. stock market. For a while, they were getting audited by Chinese companies. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. We investigated that, ourselves. Yes, exactly. And so that was just completely useless. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so recently the PCAO, PCAOB, which is the, the, the U.S. regulatory branch that looks at this kind of stuff, has I finally no reached- no idea how you remembered that acronym. Um, PCAOB, yeah, it's just, you know, like the SEC, the FTC, 
the uh, OCC. I do have to say that the PCAOB is a little longer than the SEC. <laughs> but it almost sounds like an old school rap. <laughs> you know, the SEC. You're down, with, you're down with OCC? Yeah, you know me. Yes, I am down with the Office of the Control of the Currency. <laughs> we brought it kind of back to Matt's dope comment in the beginning. Yeah, that was dope. Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah, there we go. Anyway, but uh, they finally reached an agreement with Chinese authorities to supposedly have Chinese companies open all of their books to the PCAOB and U.S. auditors. Yeah, which we'll see if they fall through. Um, but just so people like understand why this is so important, like, you know, we use the example of Luck and Coffee. It was, you know, a Chinese company. Uh, people thought it would be, you know, the next Starbucks got a lot of investments, but they were lying about their sales. It was all a shamble, huge scandals, uh, American investors lost. The stock collapsed, essentially. Yeah, yeah. both loads of money were lost. Uh, and that wouldn't, US investors would not have been hurt if US auditors had been allowed to look at the company's actual books. Yeah, and I think also there's this whole thing about, uh, you know, there are multiple Chinese state-run companies that are, listed on the U.S. stock exchange there. It just, we have no oversight or no knowledge about all of these companies and we are pumping money and have been for years into these Chinese companies. And these companies have been able to come here, raise a humongous amount of money and, and bring it back to China. And like that money is not coming back out, you know. When the Chinese Communist Party was going through hard times, it was the U.S. carrying it on its back. <laughs> there you go. That's that is true. That I mean, I think true. I think that like the people forget the original value of the stock markets, which is that like people today think of a stock market as a place to park my money, to outpace inflation, or to make a profit. But at a, at its core, the 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 value of a stock market is for investors to be able to invest in good companies to help them grow, right? It's basically, a, it's a fundraising mechanism where the investors are partnering with companies to help those companies succeed, right? And so now think about what we're doing if American investors are investing in Chinese companies, which are competitors to American companies like Luck and Coffee, is we Americans are putting our money into a, a uh, company to help it succeed in taking over the market from our own American companies. So to me, that undermines the real value of the stock market. And I'm not defending, like the stock market has lots of problems. And yeah, this I was gonna is one say, that's them. a very it's idealistic a, it is, it version. Is, it is, it of is an like, idealistic yeah. version of the stock market. And, I, and like we've, there's so many problems with the stock market and there have been not just since China started in getting involved, but since since the beginning, right? Because, and, and a, generally when you start seeing problems in the stock market, it's because people stop treating it as, looking at it as, as investing in companies to help them grow. And val, like the valuation of those companies should be tied to their uh, expected earnings, right? And then like you start to lose track of that and you get big bubbles, right? And that's what happens ahead of each crash because you lose track of the fundamental mission of the stock market 
And this whole idea of having Chinese companies come in and list on the US stock market is already a, an indication that we have lost sight once again of what the core value of having a stock market Think is. Think of how much money people can make. You know what? You're right. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah. I, forget what I said. I mean, Alibaba, Actually, it's a great opportunity to you know, make money. Nothing's bad's going to happen to Alibaba. Look at how huge it is in China. Of course, yeah. we should let it list on the U.S. stock market. Hey, let me give you guys a hot stock tip. There's this Chinese company. It's called Evergrande. <laughs> <laughs> don't, it's going through a little bit of a rough fashion now, but don't worry. It'll be bailed out by the Chinese government. Everything will be fine. Uh, triple your investment. I don't think Evergrande is on the U.S. stock market. But a lot of a lot of um, U.S. investment firms have bought their bonds, which they are not going to pay back. Delicious. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. but the bonds promise high returns, so like, of course, you want to invest. I mean, that's the joy of a state-run economy. It's just you can make it do whatever you want, including money printer go burr. Don't pay the foreigners. I think is the <laughs> official position of the Chinese government on the real estate market. Yes. Got to pay the. The, you got to pay the government back. You got to pay the Chinese people back because without that, there would be riots and then that would affect the stability of the CCP. But uh, the foreign investors, screw them. My, my favorite thing that came out this week about uh, uh, great communist money-making strategies was since there is this real estate crisis going on um, where companies like Evergrande, uh, uh, you know, Overleveraged. Overleveraged. They don't have the money to finish homes that they've already sold to people who now aren't paying mortgages on homes they can't move into because they don't exist. And all this blowing up and nobody wants to buy homes and people can't get mortgages. The Communist Party is telling party members to just buy more homes. I mean, to be fair, it's local government officials. It's not like a central policy, but it is pretty funny. Yeah, if you don't... That one official in, uh, in Hunan, Hunan province. Yeah, he said, if, if you have one home, buy two. If you have two homes, buy three. If you have three homes, why not buy a fourth? Yeah, there you go. It's especially It's especially hilarious. Be I mean, this is how the communist system kind of works. It's kind of like, well, you know, the, the, the Communist Party officials, you have to go out and lead the be the example for the, you know, population, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to go out and buy homes and that's going to make everybody else buy. That's totally how it works. Yeah, of course, like, you know, five or six years ago, the Communist Party was telling officials not to buy second homes because it was contributing to the real estate bubble. Well, also because it is a pretty big sign of corruption if you can buy like five homes yeah, on a- Buy four homes just, just because. Well, so five homes is corruption, but four is okay? Well, apparently now four is the minimum. <laughs> but it well, no, is, it's one more than what you have. Yeah, yes, there you go. I mean, it is it's funny that- buy N plus one homes. Yeah, they, <laughs> that's not as catchy somehow. But it is funny how, like, yeah, like you said, this was a huge sign of corruption. People having multiple homes, like Communist Party officials, this is like really bad. And now everybody's been told to buy out of the uh, out of the bubble. We need your corrupt money to save the economy. This hole we're in is so deep, we have to keep digging. <laughs> no, no, dig up, stupid. <laughs> I mean, they probably have lots of cash in their third home or fourth home. They could just take that out, use well, it to buy more homes. Well, this is great because there's, you know, the demographic crisis. crisis. They need uh, more children is pushing the three-child policy. So if all these corrupt officials have extra homes, they can, you know, keep, they can get extra mistresses 
and have children with these extra mistresses, which means more children, which is exactly what the Party Central wants. And the children will all grow up with healthy communist values. Very well adjusted. Actually, that just made me think, I wonder what happens to the kids of communist party officials and their mistresses if they exist. Because, oh, because I was thinking about like, the hookah, the hookah, and like household registration and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, like they don't really count as like towards the one or two or three child policy. Yeah, I don't know how that works actually. Uh, Although with plentiful birth control and abortions, maybe they don't have as much of a problem with unwanted children. Probably not. But remember that director, um, ugh, the guy who used to make. Movies like Red Sorghum, and then he went on to make movies John like Emo. here. Yeah, he got in trouble a few years ago for having like multiple kids out of wedlock. Even after he had made all these patriotic movies for the CCP, yeah, he had there was like a political scandal because of it. You would think, after making these, you know, political movies, you'd be allowed at least one or two illegitimate children. And they Come did on. for a while. Well, I mean, but that's that's how it goes, and any communist country. It's like, no matter how good of a communist you are, at some point, your head could be on the chopping block. There's always another purge. There's always another purge, right? It's just like Robespierre, you know, the the one who's the most pro-revolution could end up with their own head on the chopping block or under the guillotine, as the case was. A lesson for all of us and for you, dear viewers, for watching. Thank you for joining us today on China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chong. And I'm Matt Ganeshda. I'll talk to you next time. Did we not go off the rails at the end?